0: Good morning, everyone. So I'm reading this morning from Philippians, and I'm starting off in chapter 1, and we'll move to chapter 4. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, but the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
1: Well, welcome to the First Book Club sermon. Now. There's a lot of flexibility here. You are very welcome to either go full hog and read all the books and all the associated and watch all the associated films, or you're very also very welcome to come up to any Sundays that you're available and get a taster here and uh, how it relates to the Bible. So however you want to engage with it is fine. Now here is what lies ahead, uh, and this is also going in the newsletter the website and on social media, so there's all sorts of places you can find that. Next week, uh, as Roger already said, we're looking at, uh, we're looking at um, Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand, and this is Rick who's preaching, so it's a favourite book of his, I believe. And there is a movie, and I didn't get paid for this, but if you prefer you can watch the movie, which is streaming on Binge. I don't have a Binge account, but anyway, and rentable on Apple and YouTube, so there are various ways to get hold of it. But today we are looking at "Surprised by Joy" by C.S. Lewis. Now, anyone here doesn't know who C.S. Lewis is? I don't know. You don't know? Do you know the Narnia series? Yes. Yeah, yes, he wrote those. So there you go. So he was a writer. He was a literature professor and also a lay theologian. And he's actual. He was actually known as Jack. Was his actual name that he went by? But the CS was Clive Staples. Well, here are some books uh, of his which are famous besides the one we're looking at. So we've got The, the Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, the Narnia series, Mere Christianity, which gives a rundown of the basics of the faith, and the Screwtape Letters, which is uh, letters imagined between a, a junior devil and a senior devil. That's fun. But this book, Surprised by Joy, is one of my absolute favourites. It's an autobiography, but it tells the story of only one part, really, of um, C.S. Lewis's life. And from a very particular perspective, it goes from his childhood until his conversion to Christianity at the age of 32. So actually there's some really important parts of his life he completely skips over because he's not really telling that story. He's telling the story of how he came to faith. And his whole story of coming to faith is round this idea of joy. So that's what I'm going to talk about this morning because um, that's a really important concept in Scripture. And, uh, and I've said this before, so you'll all get used to it, and for me as well, which is why I've got it um, there on my wrist. Now, by the way, some of you may know, a charming coincidence is that after he wrote this book, he married late in life to a writer named Joy. Joy Davidson and that's a photo of their marriage certificate which is taken by our own Paul Drayton when he was at his house. Complete coincidence but I feel like God was having some joy there with C.S. Lewis with that coincidence. But back to this book and the idea of joy. Now what Lewis is doing in the book is he's talking about his life until he found faith in Jesus And he talks about it as a search for joy. And by joy, he means something very specific. He finds joy first in the beauty of a miniature garden made by his brother and then in a Beatrix Potter story. Squirrel Nutkin, if you're interested. And then in poetry and on to mythology, Celtic and Norse, and the music of Wagner and then the fantasy writing of William Morris, who you might know more as a pattern maker. And all of this awakens an interest in him in the supernatural and then God before, pretty reluctantly, coming to find Jesus. What did he mean by joy? For him, it is a type of longing. And so he says this, All joy reminds it is never a possession, always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. And he makes a sharp distinction between this and happiness and pleasure, two other concepts which we might think are pretty much the same. Not so, he says. He says, I call it joy, which is here a technical term and must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and pleasure. Joy, in my sense, has indeed one characteristic and one only in common with them, the fact that anyone who's experienced it will want it again. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it would ever, if both were in his power exchange it for all the pleasures in the world. But then joy is never in our power, and pleasure often is. Now, I'm not sure I would so sharply distinguish joy from happiness and pleasure. They are all experiences which bring positive healings, uh, feelings, and we understandably want more of all of them. And all of them are good in the way that God originally intended them. Though, of course, we can all go to try and find them in places which are ultimately destructive. But that being said, I think he has hit on something true, that joy is something that can be found even when there's very little around you in your circumstances that you would usually think would lead to joy or happiness or pleasure. There is something in the way that he's talking about it that is deeper than the kind of happiness or pleasure you get from eating, say, your favourite chocolate. I've been doing a lot of that over the week. Well, the biblical writer who is my go-to for talking about joy is Paul. And of his letters, my favourite one of all is his letter to the Philippians. And so what I want to do, we've had two readings from it, but what I want to do, and you might want to get out your Bible in whatever form you've got, because I want to do a quick gallop through the letter to see when Paul talks about joy... Uh, And rejoicing, what is he talking about? Now, the first mention in Philippians is 1, chapter 1, verse 3. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So the first thing is that for Paul, joy is connected to the gospel. And then he expands on this from verse 18. But what does it matter the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, why does he start this section off by saying, What does it matter? This suggests to us that, in fact, something has occurred to him that usually will be considered to be an issue, that usually would be considered to matter. And in fact, earlier in the letter, he has revealed where he is. In verses 7 and verse 13, he said, I am in chains. In fact, Paul is in prison because of preaching Jesus. And not only that, but in verse 17, he's told us that other Christians are trying to cause problems for him while he is imprisoned. So when Paul says here, what does it matter? He isn't talking about something trivial, like not being able to get the Christmas chocolate you wanted. Rather, he is suffering acutely because of both external and internal, that is internal to the church, opposition. In fact, this opposition had deprived him of his freedom and could even lead to his death. And yet Paul still has joy. Why? Why? Because verse 18, Christ is preached. And in verse 19, he rejoices again. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, some have suggested here that Paul believed that he'd be released from prison. We don't actually know whether this was his ultimate stay in prison or he got out after this one. But Actually, in the very next verses, he talks about the possibility that he may die. So I think when he talks about deliverance here, Paul is speaking of either the actual release from prison or that in Christ, he, in his present circumstances, he looks forward to his life to come after death with Christ, which is also in his mind a deliverance. So at this moment, when Paul is facing a lot of opposition, when he is in prison, when he's actually contemplating with some seriousness his own death, he talks about joy. And his joy is all in Jesus, whether it's what Jesus means for himself or what Jesus means for others. And he speaks to not only of his joy but of their joy in the faith, In verse 25, and this shows that for Paul, this joy in Jesus is central to what it is to follow Jesus. Then as we move into chapter 2, he continues to speak of joy, filling out more of the picture for us. So in 2 verse 2, he says, "...you can make my joy complete," that is the believers in Philippi, "...by becoming like Christ." So Paul's joy is in the gospel and it's also in all that the gospel produces. That is, for instance, people becoming like Jesus in the way that they love. And then this joy that he has in the people leads him to say something quite extraordinary in 2 verses 17 to 18. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, this is interesting because I imagine that many of them are quite distressed that Paul is in prison. But he says, Be glad and rejoice with me. Now, what does he mean by this metaphor poured out like a drink offering? He's actually referring to the practice of sacrifice in the temple in which a cup of wine will be poured out on the ground completely as a sacrifice to God. And Paul is saying this is what's happening with his life. It is happening through all the troubles he's experiencing in his work for the gospel, including at this point being in prison. And all these troubles may well lead to his actual death. And that seems to be encompassed also in this pouring out of himself, Whatever the outcome, he is willing to pour himself out for Jesus. And not only is he willing, but this makes him rejoice. And he's rejoicing, as he said, because they remain in their faith. And this gives him joy. And then similarly, at the end of chapter 2, moving into chapter 3, He also tells them to experience joy in receiving his fellow worker, Epaphroditus, who has also been risking his life for Christ's sake. And the joy they're meant to have here is not just because this friend has rejoined them, but because of what he has been doing while away from them. He too has been pouring his life out for Jesus Christ. And this is all so extraordinary because when you actually think about what he's talking about, all of this would normally be reason for sorrow and anger rather than joy. And that is not to say Paul didn't experience those other emotions as well. In fact, he seems to imply this when he said that it would be easier for him to go be with Jesus, that is, through death, than to continue within his current troubles. This is not someone pretending that everything is okay. So it seems clear that for Paul, at least, joy is possible even in the midst of great suffering. Well, let us sprint through the joy in Philippians and go to the last chapter. At the start of chapter 4, he mentions again that his fellow believers are his joy. And again, we've got this sense that Paul's joy is very much centred in others, whether Jesus or other believers. And then he commands them to rejoice in 4 verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, thanksgiving, Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this is extraordinary as well because we tend to think of joy as something outside our control, the result of good things occurring and very much dependent on them. And even C.S. Lewis somewhat suggests that joy is outside our control. But if this were the case, then Paul couldn't do what he does here, which is that he actually commands them to rejoice. How can he do this? This is because for Paul, joy is so radically founded in Jesus and in his gospel that whatever else is going on in life, there is always space for joy. Now, if you're reading this or you're hearing this from a sermon and it was a a preacher with a nice home and the admiration of people and status who's living in a comfortable suburb of Sydney, you might well sigh at how disconnected that preacher seemed to be from the realities of life. But Paul says this from prison when even some of his so-called friends are out to get him. And this has been my favourite book of the Bible through easy times and hard. For instance, when, like Paul, I felt like I was being poured out like a drink offering as a woman who had offered herself in ministry but was being rejected because of her gender. Still, I found joy. Or after I'd found my way through a time of major depression when I, like Paul, considered that death may be better, Still, there was joy. Let's bring this back to what C.S. Lewis was talking about, to see whether it's the same thing as Paul. Now, of course, Lewis was talking about his journey to Christ. So he comes across joy before Jesus, before he understands the gospel. And yet I think he is on to something. For... Just like for C.S. Lewis, joy existed, he found it before he found Christ. Paul takes a word, he translated joy, that existed before Jesus as well. It is the word kara, joy, and the verb kairo, to rejoice. And by the way, for anyone who's a language nerd, both of these are related to the word for grace, charis, which is another key Pauline concept, and also to the word thanksgiving, which is eucharisto, All of these things come back to a common root. So this word for joy, kara, is something that was known before Jesus. There was a word for it. It's something that C.S. Lewis could find before Jesus. But what Paul does is he takes an experience common to humanity and shows how it is most to be found in Jesus. And that was Lewis's experience He didn't need to be a believer to experience joy because God made this world and so God's joy runs through it. For Lewis, he found joy in poetry and stories and beauty, not terribly surprising for a man who'd become a literature professor. And also tells you why I resonated with it. My first degree was in English Lit. But he found joy Most when these things moved him to imagine something better and higher and to long for it. Now, all of us might find this kind of joy in other places, whether in nature or the love of other human beings. But this is how Lewis sums it up in another book, Mere Christianity. I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. If I find this and no experience can satisfy it, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Now, I'm not sure I would agree with Lewis that I would say that joy fundamentally is longing because in some ways it's the most satisfying feeling in this world. But this is where I agree. We feel joy when we connect with that in this world which gives us a glimpse of God and gives us, therefore, a glimpse of the world to come. And so, yes, in this world, joy always points us beyond it to something that we don't have in full here, something that we get only in glimpses here. And we realise that, in fact, in this world, most of the time, we do not have this kind of joy. But it points us to that which will ultimately fully satisfy us eternally in the age to come. And that is why, as Paul talks about it, it can be so deeply experienced in the gospel and in Jesus, who is the most complete revelation of God. For we were made for the joy in God. We were made to be with God and we were made to be like him. And so this is why our joy is most deeply found in Christ. And so at the end of his book on joy, Lewis says something surprising. But what, in conclusion of joy, for that, after all, is what this story has mainly been about. To tell you the truth, the subject has lost nearly all interest for me since I became a Christian. I cannot indeed complain like Wordsworth that the visionary gleam has passed away. I believe, if the thing were at all worth recording, that the old stab, the old bittersweet, has come to me as often and as sharply since my conversion as at any time of my life, whatever. But I now know that the experience, considered as a state of my own mind, had never had the kind of importance I once gave it. It was valuable only as a pointer to something other and outer. Lewis is saying that it misses the point to go running after joy as if the feeling in itself is what is valuable. In fact, a lot of how we get off into wrong paths in life is because we go chasing after feelings without realising that the feelings are not the good in himself. They point us to what is good. And what is good or who is good through and through in every way? Is it not Jesus? And that is why even in the midst of the most painful struggles of this world, somehow, sometimes, against all odds, we can still feel a spark of joy. And that is because this world, however much they try, even taking him to the cross cannot get rid of Jesus. This is God's world. And so as Paul says in Romans 8, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want to tell you something. I can remember a time when I was really struggling with both life and faith. I had doubt and I had despair. Yet if you ask me what the moments of deepest joy for me were at that time, they were in two things. They were singing Jesus Loves Me with my young children. They were in seeing the stirrings of faith in those same children. And I remember the shock of realising that while I was doubting and despairing that my joy was still in Jesus and that the greatest joy I could still imagine was my children coming to know him too. You know, one of my favourite films is Life is Beautiful. Does anyone know that film? I would describe it as a film which gave me joy. But what is surprising about that is while the first half of the film is a romance, the second half of the film is set in a concentration camp in World War II. And the child born of the romance in the first half of the film is in the concentration camp with his father. They are both Jewish. In order to help his son survive, the father pretends that the camp is a game. And though in the end, and it was a 1998 film or something, so I'm sorry for the spoiler, but it's been out a while. Though in the end, the father dies. The son survives and is rescued. But the joy in this film is in the Father's love. The love leads to death for the Father. But you do not experience that as a tragedy. For in this film, it is not evil that triumphs, but love. It's, of course, impossible as a Christian to watch the film without thinking of the love which took Jesus to the cross. In worldly terms, the cross is a tragedy, an innocent man killed. But when we look at it with the eyes of faith, we know it is, in internal terms, a victory and a reason for joy. For on the cross, love won, and we are given life. So what is joy? I think that joy is a delight the good and therefore joy involves a longing for the day when good saturates everything when god is all in all and this day will happen because of what jesus has already done joy is then present whenever we find the good even in the most difficult of times it is most fully present in the love of Jesus. And this is something nothing can separate us from. How then are we to obey Paul's command in Philippians 4 to rejoice? I do not think this is asking you to force a smile even when things are difficult. This is not about being jolly, okay? Okay. That kind of forced smile asks you to pretend that everything is okay when it is not. Joy does not do that. Indeed, i found joy is often accompanied by tears. I remember another moment of joy in my life. My sister-in-law and myself were both pregnant at the same time. I, however, lost my baby during the pregnancy and she brought hers to birth. And... That baby is, in fact, now grown up at uni and at uni. So I flew up to Brisbane to meet this baby. And I remember on the plane trip by myself, wondering what reaction I would have to this baby, born when mine had died. And my brother and his wife met me at the gate and I put out my arms for their baby. And as they placed her in my arms, I both started crying and I experienced a sharp rush of joy. My grief was still present, but this baby reminded me of the goodness of life and love and God. And some 18 years later, it was another deep joy to be one of the people who led this baby to faith as an adult. You see, joy looks pain and suffering in the face, and joy can do that because joy says, You do not defeat us and you do not win. You are not our destiny, and Jesus has already shown you the door. Joy is also not content with the world as it is, but instead joy has hope for the fullness of goodness in the future, when joy will not just be a pointer to it, but joy will be the everyday pulse of our existence. So Paul's is no callous command to force a smile, but it's an encouragement to look out for all those pointers because they indeed show us the deepest reality of life. And that is why after saying rejoice always, Paul gives this advice. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable... If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. In fact, this is what C.S. Lewis did. He looked out for what was true and noble and pure and lovely, and on the way, he found Jesus. And so for us, Like Lewis, we might find joy in good stories and things of beauty. We might find joy in the faces of those we love. We might find joy in looking for people who have lived lives of love, sometimes loved, lived through the hardest of times. And then, of course, we will see it in Jesus, the supreme example of love. And so I encourage you to look for joy, because that shows you the truth of this world and the world to come. Now, one way, of course, to find stories of joy is to find stories of people finding Jesus, like that of Lewis. So I recommend the book Surprised by Joy to you. And if you don't want to read it, you can watch it. I haven't watched this, but it's called The Reluctant Convert. And I think also, I think you'll find some joy in in all of the books that we have for this book club. So one of the reasons that I thought it would be good for us to do this is so that as we start our year, we are looking for joy. Let us pray. Father, all of us here are in different places. We've just been thinking about our, our year as we prayed with Ellen. All of us had had joy and hardship and tears. But help us as a people to come around each other and to help each other find joy. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Amen.